I'll say the more things change, the more they stay the same. So yep. we still need to focus on privilege and administrative access and protecting the keys to the kingdom. We talked a little bit about asset inventory, and I read something that you wrote about doing an inventory because you could crawl around a data center and look at the cables. We don't know what our footprint is, and we have to resurrect whatever we were doing better and get that kind of understanding of our current environments. You're listening to Cloud Security Reinvented, a podcast for security leaders with a focus on the cloud. Learn best practices from fellow security professionals and how they disconnect from it all at the end of the day. Cloud Security Reinvented. Good morning, or depending on when you are in the world, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Welcome to Cloud Security Reinvented. I'm your host, Andy Ellis. Before I introduce our guest for the week, a quick word from our sponsor, Orca Security. Orca provides agentless security and compliance for your public cloud infrastructure, enabling you to detect and prioritize security risks in minutes, not months. I'm here today with Renee Gutman, former CISO at Coca-Cola, Royal Caribbean, Campbell's Soup. You can think of her as the Super Bowl commercial CISO. Welcome, Renee. Hi, Andy, nice to be here. Thanks for joining us today. Across a long security career, not only do we as professionals grow and change, but the world that we're doing it in changes. And I'd like to get your insight today, especially as we see the transition from on-premise worlds that many of us started in into cloud security that has become the default model for IT. But let's look at your career journey so we can put those questions in context. You started out as a research analyst for Gartner before moving into architecture at Capital One. What was that transition like? So actually, before I became a research analyst at Gartner, I was doing security for, I started a security program with a healthcare company, a global healthcare company based out of London. And we were protecting clinical trial data and research material. And then after that is when I took the Gartner job. Okay. So just to put it in perspective, the very first RSA conference that I went to, there were five vendors. And they each <laughs> had a round table about the size of my kitchen table that I'm sitting at right now. And I can remember two of them, but there were five of them. And I mean, how many were there at the last RSA conference? I mean, you couldn't keep count, I'm sure. But I did leave Gartner and I became the security architect for building their online statement platforms and actually applying for a credit card online. And back when I did that, people didn't do it. Nope, they so, didn't. We were one of the very first companies to actually make it make it available for people to go and look at their statements. After Capital One, I went to Time Inc. and Time Warner, and I found out we had a ton of credit cards, which I didn't realize at the time that I took the job. But Time Inc. actually was providing call services for like Martha Stewart, National Geographic. We were global. We had call centers. And that actually gave me something to do because I actually knew something about credit cards coming from Capital One. Yep. And then I got recruited to Coke. I built their program from scratch. Royal Caribbean, I joined them later. And my most recent opportunity was at the Campbell Soup Company where I was working specifically on manufacturing OT security. Yeah, you know, I just realized we might have been on a call together back when you were at Capital One. Danny Lewin, who was the Akamai co-founder had gone to Capital One to pitch our secure content delivery network. Okay. And he was meeting with uh, Capital One CIO or CTO and team. 
and to pitch like, here's what we're doing. Here's the great security. You'll be able to trust us. By any chance, were you in the room when he did that? I don't remember, but I, I can tell you that your company actually saved me at a different company. I had just taken the job and I noticed that everybody that worked for me was leaving like to go somewhere. And I thought I followed them and I found out that we were having a DDoS attack. <laughs> and so we quickly stood up some services to get ourselves out of that mess. But on the third day of being with the company, I went to the CEO and asked for something like $600,000. And yep. he was a little shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that can happen. The reason I bring it up is I was the disembodied voice that got called in to pitch the security in that. And buried on my blog, there's a story about like, that was when I realized that there would be a market for doing things online. But I think that people now like don't take this seriously. Like 20 years ago, the fact that you would have this conversation about doing credit card applications online, we're not even talking about bill processing and everything else, but just applying online was revolutionary yeah. 20 years ago. When I first built a website for people to register for their benefits online, and I was asking people for advice on how to do this, and I, I remember somebody that I really respected a lot just told me to resign. He said, don't do it. Just go resign. <laughs> just go resign. Yep. There was a lot of that. But you know, you've had this amazing career, CISO to all these great brands, and you're, you're in between those right now. So what are you doing to fill your time today? Well, I'm doing a lot, actually. I'm especially really happy and excited about some work that I'm doing with nine other CISOs. We have 20 CISOs from around the world that have joined to take a program over the next year, and each of us will also mentor two of them. Mm -hmm. So that'll take me through another year of training and giving back. I'm also giving back to one of the nonprofits that I've been associated with. And I think that the work they do is really important. It, they treat children with severe mental illness. Mm -hmm. And so I've been working with them a little bit, looking for you know people to potentially be part of their board now. I'm also helping some startups along the way. And, and that's kind of exciting too, because just when you thought you didn't need another security product, turns out you do. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you might need fewer, but you, the ones that you need are all things that didn't exist a few years ago. That's right, Andy. I think that we need to start displacing some of what we have, and we're not good at that. Well, nobody wants to be the person who got rid of a, a tool, and then it turns out that that tool might possibly have helped in a breach. It's like the joke, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. Yeah. Like, nobody ever gets fired for buying antivirus. Right. Right. But if you got rid of it, oh, maybe that's a bad day, even if you have other things. So let's look at, at how the cloud has changed things. So when you think about security, how has the cloud changed your mental model for security in that the prevalence of cloud? So I started getting involved with the cloud in 2011, and I was really fortunate that I worked for with people that were really, really out there looking at the newer trends. And so they actually even, they, def they wrote a white paper for the company and they used terms like software-defined networking. And one of the things that I remember about the cloud when we first went down this path is that the cloud was supposed to solve all our security problems. Like it was like, trust us, right? <laughs> yeah. And we knew better than to do that. So we just took everything that we had on site and we shipped it to the cloud. And then we found out that maybe that wasn't such a good idea either. So fast forward, the other thing that we thought was, well, we have one of these clouds, right? So we'll have one. Yep. Well, 
I just read a stat that said that today, and I pulled it off a website, so I... It's totally trustworthy. It could be hearsay. But it said that 62% of companies today are multi-cloud with the expectation that 94 will be multi-cloud in two years. That didn't sound right to me. I think people are, are really more multi-cloud than that, and they might not know it, which is a big issue. Right. Because I think we've kind of lost a little bit of control of our global footprint. Like, we don't really know anymore what our true attack surface is, I think, given all these changes. And so the other thing with multi-cloud is that your teams have to know a little about everything because they're all different, right? They all have right. different capabilities. So now you're suddenly learning about the specialty of cloud A and cloud B, and and now you don't have a holistic program either. And the final thing that I'll say is that I I find that now you're basically in multiple clouds. You've got several service providers. You might have somebody doing operations for you. And one of the things that I think is extremely difficult right now is figuring out who's on first. Yep. And I, I think that you've got to figure that part out because you don't want to have to find out who's accountable, who's responsible, and who you're going to call in the middle of the night. And so a lot of this goes down to SLA management, but this is something that I've had it come and bite me once or twice, you know, by not knowing, like, who are these people and what do they do? And the finger pointing starts pretty quickly. Yeah, I think that's a big challenge in asset management is keeping track of who owns and like cloud is an asset, not just the systems, but cloud itself. And to your point about that multi-cloud stat, I, I actually hate surveys like that because multi-cloud is so ill-defined. Like does multi yeah. when you ask me if I have a multi-cloud strategy, I think, do I have for my premier applications a strategy for them to exist in multiple clouds at once so that if AWS fails, I'm still up in Azure or GCP or vice versa. But I think for most companies, multi-cloud just means, well, you have that development shop built for AWS. And this one over here is building for GCP. And meanwhile, you've got Azure coming out of a third team. So there's not these clouds are backstopping each other. You're actually just vulnerable to all of them. Yeah, and that's right, Andy. That's absolutely right. Because marketing will like AWS for some reason or something else, and then yep. IT will pick its favorite, and suddenly some business unit is is running something somewhere else. But to your point, it doesn't make you more resilient. Yeah, it reminds me of the people always ask who the CISO reports to. And I saw this really amazing one that blew my mind. It said that 40% of CISOs report to the CEO. And that boggled my mind. I'm like, that is not my experience at all. I I can't find 40%. And then the next bullet was 25% report to the board. And so clearly the respondents who heard it use the word reports to, as in delivers regular reports (laughs) to. So you meet with the CEO like once a quarter. So you report to the CEO. And I'm sitting here going, no, no, no. Reports to the CEO means you're actually in the room with the CEO staff meeting every week so that CISOs at the table. Language and words really matter. Yeah, so let's look at your industries. And you've been in a lot of industries. They're very marquee industries. I look at, at a lot of CISOs careers and you know, they have one headline company. You've got like all of them, but let's look at some of those industries. What was different about security, especially cloud security inside that industry that people outside the industry would be surprised to hear? So I think I'll pick on the last two positions that I had because they were, to me, a big difference in even the way that I thought about security. So the first was there was a lot of OT, right? There was either manufacturing, but on a ship or in, in maritime in general, there are a lot of systems like satellites, navigation that are really 
on the ship, and the way that you talk to them is through satellite. Yep. So your bandwidth is a little bit constrained because you're basically taking it away from the crew and the passengers, mainly the paying passengers. And so it wasn't that easy to figure out how we were going to put leverage the cloud in some of these environments. And to that point, I still think that building that on-premise model blended with like how the cloud could still be leveraged, I don't think we're there yet. But I think that's an opportunity for people to really go in and address this because I, yep. I think that, and the other problem is that these systems that I'm talking about aren't generally run by IT people. They're outside the span of IT. So you've right. got somebody that runs the manufacturing systems and they could be buying cameras from who knows where or something like that. Yeah, I think, I think we all know where the cameras come from. Yeah. And so it's a little bit harder sell even to define the risk. So the first thing is, let me just say it differently. I learned more about manufacturing and about maritime systems because if I didn't understand what the language they were using, like there was no way for me to get started in that conversation. So, yeah, I just don't think we're there yet, Andy. And I think mm -hmm. we could be doing more, but we're not there yet. Okay. I think that language point, that's really a, a sort of a key one, which is we talk about CISOs speaking the language of the business. And I think a lot of times we think about that being the language of finance, but it's really just the language of the operators you have to work with to make sure that you're sort of on the same page with them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about, we rewrote some of their documents. When I say rewrote, we added our stuff to theirs. Yep. We didn't give them new stuff. We said, oh, you've got this document that helps your operators to do this or that. Can we add a section about who to call if they think there's a problem? Mm -hmm. I like that. That's a great way to, to approach it. And that's a great segue into, you know, I like to think about what practices from before before the cloud still resonate in the cloud environment and maybe we're just stealing out of you know, use other people's documents and just edit them for you what most resonates still today that we need to double down on maybe so i think that i'll say the more things change the more they stay the same so yep. we still need to focus on privilege and administrative access and protecting the keys to the kingdom mm-hmm we talked a little bit about asset inventory, and I read something that you wrote about doing an inventory because you could crawl around a data center and look at the cables. We don't know what our footprint is, and we have to resurrect whatever we were doing better and get that kind of understanding of our current environments. And then the third thing is I think that we had really good IR plans, and yep. we better get better at that, especially because of the accountability issues and the who's on first thing that I talked about. So I think we were okay, but we need to up-level those procedures. We need to do better training with more of our partners. You know, they need to be in the room. Yep. I wonder about the IR training is, you know, one of the things I found is that companies that have a lot of incidents are really good at incidents. And does the cloud take away a lot of those low-level you know, network-type incidents that companies used to train their IR processes on? So now you're like, oh, like I don't have an incident every day, but once a year, I'm just down because AWS is down, but I don't know how to respond to an incident. I haven't practiced communications. Slack went down. Do I have anybody's cell phone numbers? Like, I wonder if that's a challenge that people are running into. I think it's more of a comment than a question on that one. So let's think about the other side of this topic, which is what are the things we used to do that maybe we still do and should stop? So what practice 
security practice from the pre-cloud area should we have buried a long time ago? So I'm in the camp that says you've got to dump change control boards. Okay. okay? And the reason is, well, for a lot of reasons. I mean, I truly think that you go to a change control board and you've got one purpose for being there and that's to get your change approved. Okay. Right. So <laughs> however you can manage to get your change approved, that's what you're there to get right. done. You very clearly have an incentive, which is survive this and be approved versus have the best outcome for the company. Yeah. And then I think the other thing is I don't think the dependencies are well understood. And so I think we're over really reliant on something that is probably not relevant. Plus, I know the changes I'm making. I don't know the changes that my cloud provider's making. Right. Right. They're not coming to me and, and running their stuff through a change control board. So I just question the time and the value of that exercise and that it needs a bit of a refresh. Okay. And then the other thing that I really think has to be improved is if you touch it three times, you need to automate it. Yes. Right and be done with it and don't do anything through questionnaire anymore because that you're relying on tribal knowledge. And so we need to stop some of those things that probably never really gave us the results in the first place, but now they really aren't working for right. us. But they gave us warm fuzzies because they let us check they a did. box on our audits. <laughs> yeah. They helped us check a compliance box somewhere. I'm sure. Yep. So for you, what has been the biggest surprise? from the cloud era? Like what could you not have predicted about where we are today? I think what I wouldn't have predicted if I hadn't seen it firsthand is how much on-prem there still is. And so I talked about two industries that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. I don't know like how many people are still running data centers. A I lot mean, of them. I would have thought that all of that would have already left the building. So that's a little bit of surprise to me, but I understand it better than I might have had I not worked in those two companies. But that's a little surprising that we're not further along. The other thing is what you mentioned, and it's the resiliency. And I think that we haven't done a good job with figuring out how to be more resilient, especially because of ransomware. Yep. And that to me still represents an opportunity because I think that how is it that we can't have a backup that we can restore comfortably, you know? And I don't know, Andy, those are some things that I'm still scratching my head at. Well, it's funny that you put those two together because I actually think that they solve each other. If you yeah. can get rid of Active Directory on-premise, that is 80% of ransomware problem solved for you. Yes. Like, but we're still hugging our AD servers, but not taking care of them the way we ought to. Yeah. And then there's a school that says maybe you need to get rid of AD, but we won't yep. go there. Yeah, but, but even if you went to like, let Microsoft deal with that Office 365 is worlds better than doing it right. yourself. So let's go back and you've learned a ton in your career, but what's a piece of advice that you wish someone had given to you early in your career so you didn't have to learn it the hard way? I'm actually an introvert, okay? And so that was hard for me, but something now that I think is extremely important is you've got to get to know the people around you and you've got to start with who mm -hmm. they are before they care about what you're doing and why you're there. And I actually was lucky that I had a coach early on who said, you've just, because I had a guy that did networking and we couldn't even be in the same room together, you know? So I went to his office and looked around and saw the pictures of grandkids and we started to have coffee. And I mean, you know, it was palpable because we were one of the four top leaders in the IT yep. organization. And I think it's really important for security people too, because you don't want to be seen as the cop. You actually want to create 
a persona, I hope, that people will feel comfortable coming to you asking for help. And what I really need them to do is tell me when the garbage can's on fire before the building burns down. Yes. And if they think I'm going to come at them, like, with, or... I just don't think you can really be effective until you, A, know the people, and B, the culture and everything else goes along with. But you've got to know people, and you've got to put yourself out there in a way that people get comfortable with you. And they want to be in the same room with you. Yeah, I love that. I'm a big fan of the, like, we're a guide, not the cop of the organization. But I know that there's a lot of people inside our industry that really do approach it from the other direction. And so that probably leads to some really hard conversations within your team, like how do you approach that hard conversation when your vision doesn't necessarily align with what they think the career is? I don't think there's a career. I mean, and when we're talking about my team, so if I'm talking about my team in particular, or even just the mission, I mean, we have to get on board with what the mission is. And so most people can do that. They can say, well, sure, we need to protect manufacturing. We need to make sure that nothing can contaminate a product or that nobody's going to go and whack the satellite system. So people do get on board with the mission. Mm-hmm. The difficulty comes into the how, right? It's how you get there. And and so I think you've got to be open to other people's ideas. I mean, I never want to be just the smartest person in the room, Andy. I know I'm not. So mm-hmm. I've got to be willing to listen. The other thing that I used to say is you've got to be able to course correct. And I would say, look, we're making a decision. If you don't tell me if we don't all agree on where we're going, right? Now it's like putting 20 boats in the water. You need to have some direction for where the ship is going. And so it's really about creating the mission, creating the values and respecting each other. And I said to one lady, look, they need to respect you, but you don't have to be their best friend, you know? So we get into this this other funky mode where, where we just think that we've got to be everybody's best friend. That's not what I'm saying. But anyway, I think it's it's about listening and, and respecting the diversity that, that teams bring. No, I love that look at it. As you look about at the future now, like what opportunities, especially that technology has brought to us, really excites you? Anything that's more frictionless. So I get very excited when I think about not having to remember a password. Yes. Okay. And I get really excited when I think about security, whatever it is, not being seen as an obstacle to a business process because they have their jobs to do. Mm-hmm. So if I can be seamless, if I can be, I don't know, a floorboard or something that people don't have to pay too much attention to, like I want to be just something that is seamless and anything that makes us more seamless to get ours to do their jobs without creating a lot of noise in the business. I'm happy about that. Yeah. No, I love that. So at the end of the day, what do you do to unwind? So I have a dog, a golden retriever, mm-hmm. and we go for long walks. I like to cook. I like to read. I love mystery. I generally have two books for work, and then I have one book that's my guilty pleasure book that I take into the tub. And I go to the library, so I can't have a guilty pleasure book from the library because it doesn't look too good after it's been in the bathtub a few times. <laughs> Well, I want to learn how to paint, Andy, and I did a little painting class, but I found out that I stay within the lines, which was shocking to me that because mm-hmm. I've never stayed in any line. Yeah, yeah for you, that is surprising. <laughs> you know, have you tried doing any of the paint bars? Yeah, that's what this was. Oh, I love those because there's no lines. There's like, oh, here's how to do it and here, have a glass of wine while you're at it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've, I've done that with my family and discovered that I'm not as bad of a painter as I thought I was. 
Well, I'm determined to get better, and I'll tell you what this brings to mind, Andy, is that if we don't go back to the office soon, happy hours aren't working for anybody anymore, and we're going to have to get really creative of how we bring our teams together, and I actually really like the idea of sending everybody something and having the instructor and then seeing what everybody comes up with. So for me, that falls right into how do we basically continue to team build? We used to go play golf, my team. We don't do that now. I'm trying to think the last time I played golf professionally was probably 12 years ago or so, but... Yeah, I didn't say professionally, Andy. But no, no, I don't mean like as a professional golfer. Sorry, in the professional workforce, when was the last time I went and played golf with colleagues? But yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you want to share with our listeners? You know, piece of wisdom that sort of encapsulates Renee's philosophy, at least today. At least today. So I think you have to be personal. You have to really want to do something. It has to catch you. It has to inspire you. You've got to care about it personally. The other is to be humble. Okay, I've got a few, Andy, here. And then the other one that when you talk about how I work with my teams, I gave them Renee's rules when I started. And the one rule that I was really passionate about is on Friday afternoon, like that's not the time to clear your desk. It's not the time to take care of something that you should have done on Tuesday and ruin somebody's weekend. Okay. So on Friday afternoon, you think about three people that have helped you in that week and you send them three little notes to say, hey, just wanted to thank you again for your support this week. And gratitude just goes so far, so much further than, than anything else. And then the other is learn to draw. And I really wished I had learned to draw. And I read a book about why executives should learn to draw mm-hmm. because the visuals are going are so important, right? And you've got to yeah. have at least some way of figuring that out. But that's just, I don't know, that'll be for my next job. I'll do that. I had a lot of colleagues I wish had learned your rule about Friday afternoon. I had many an incident, which was a customer issue. It wasn't necessarily a P1. Customer had reported it on Tuesday. Like their account team had been working on it. It wasn't super high priority, but it got to Friday. And they said, you know, we can't let this go through the weekend. So they use the incident process to escalate. And I'm like, you know what ops team and engineering team was supposed to help you? Why are you calling me, who's the incident executive, on Friday evening? And every other incident executive wouldn't answer their phone. So there were two of us. And we would literally alternate. We both had small children. And so it'd be like, oh, I'm about to put my kids to bed. Can you take over this incident? Until we finally just declared. We said, "If, if you call an incident on Friday night and the ticket had opened up on Tuesday, Then on Monday morning, we're going to be having a conversation with your VPs about, like, don't do that to us. But I like your your model. Let's focus on the positive. Send a gratitude note instead. Well, the other thing is I used to call it don't. I mean, we would respond to a security event, a security incident. I'm like, let's not self-inflict issues on ourselves and others, you know, that could be avoided. That could have been avoided. So, you know, I really appreciate that. And I think your Renee's rules are a great way for us to close. So Renee, really thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Andy, for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. And you've been listening to the Cloud Security Reinvented podcast. I'm your host, Andy Ellis, and I hope you have a lovely day. Thank you for checking out this episode of Cloud Security Reinvented, brought to you by Orca Security. Orca Security detects and prioritizes cloud security risks for AWS, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud without the gaps in coverage, alert fatigue, and operational costs of agents. 
Please follow Cloud Security Reinvented wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or visit orca.security slash podcast to get immediate access to all of the latest episodes.